Welcome to Day 2 Cloud. And on today's episode, we're talking about network performance between public clouds. Our sponsor today is Thousand Eyes, and we're going to be discussing their cloud performance report that they published for 2022. This is the third year that they've done this, and they have got a lot, a lot, a lot of data in this report. Then we're going to talk through some of the highlights that are going to explain maybe some thoughts about where to place workloads, how to design your applications so that you're getting the sort of performance that you're looking for. Ned, who would normally be with us today, had a scheduled conflict, and so Drew Conry-Murray, who you know from other shows on the Packet Pushers Podcast Network, is substituting as co-host. Drew, what stuck out to you in today's episode? Yeah, there was a lot of stuff. So things about, you know, just a reminder that uh, the cloud is not steady state. Network performance is going to change over time. So it's good to have sort of a finger on the pulse of the most recent information so you can make the best architectural decisions. One thing that really jumped out at me is uh, some conversation around multi-cloud connectivity, which among the big three cloud providers in the U.S. is actually really good. They're using direct interconnections, uh, which is a lot more friendly than I would have anticipated in a hotly contested and competitive environment. <laughs> yes, I agree with that point. That stuck out to me as well. But we're going to let the Thousand Eyes team share their information with us. Our guest today is Angelique Medina. She is the head of internet intelligence and director of product marketing at Cisco Thousand Eyes. Enjoy this conversation. Angelique, welcome back to the Packet Pushers Podcast Network. Today on the Day 2 Cloud Podcast, and we're talking about the Thousand Eyes third annual cloud performance report now, an honest question, because I've looked through these reports, and they are they are intense, lots and lots of data in there. But are you still discovering data points that surprise you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was a lot here that I didn't expect. And what was particularly interesting about this report is that we were looking at three years worth of data. Because the last time we did this report was back in 2019. And of course, a lot has happened in the meantime. So it was really interesting to see not only what performance looks like today in 2022, but also how it evolved over time. So there was a there was a lot to take in, and it took us a bit of time to sift through all of it. But hopefully, it was uh, worth the wait. Uh, yeah, if you folks haven't downloaded this report yet, there are lots and lots and lots of matrices of data, graphs, and so on to help you understand uh, not just how the public cloud providers are performing, but how they perform in and amongst each other and uh, all sort of different endpoints crossing the different cloud provider networks. Uh, so lots and lots of information to chew on. Angelique, why don't you highlight some of the most interesting data points from this report? Yeah, absolutely. So just to set the stage in terms of what we actually looked at with the report. So we were looking at Three of the major providers, just in terms of um, market share. So that was AWS, Microsoft Azure, and Google Cloud. And we were looking at primarily three different types of latency measurements. So we were looking at inter-AZ. So um, effectively, the latency within a particular region between availability zones. We were also looking at inter-region traffic. So this was traffic between regions within a, a particular cloud provider. So for example, it might be US West uh, 1 to US East 1 within a particular provider. And then finally, we were looking at um, end user measurements. So these were um, latencies between different locations around the globe where um, they were connecting from an internet or a transit provider into a cloud to a particular region. So those were primarily what we looked at. We looked a little bit of multi-cloud as well, 
Um, but just to give you an idea of kind of the scope of what of what we were looking at, and there was so there was a lot so of, as so so before we get into the the data points, yeah. as you were, how did you generate that data? You're saying you're taking latency measurements. These are between thousand eyes endpoints that are taking the measurements, right? Yeah, that's right. So we we're effectively um, doing bi-directional tests from two agents. So these are agents that we were con we controlled. They were um, either within the cloud provider or they were within a hosting facility outside of the cloud connecting in. Um, but, you know, we we these were effectively um, agents that were in place in the same configuration um, over a lengthy period of time. So, yes, we were using Thousand Eyes to collect these measurements. And so not just ping traffic, but but other sorts of traffic as well to take the measurements. That's right. So not just looking at end to end performance, but we could also look at network path. So, you know, using a, sort of a form of, of uh, trace route, we could actually map the um, the path between these agents that we were testing. And that revealed a lot of really interesting data just in terms of, you know, if we saw, for example, excessive latency, then we would uh, then what we would expect, we could actually go down, drill into it and see where where and why that latency was um, uh, occurring. So, so that was particularly interesting. And when you're doing these tests, is it just a couple of packets or can you actually, you know, send some, you know, fake traffic or real traffic that you can replay? So we were mostly just looking at active traffic. So it, it wasn't, and this was really just network, um, measurements. So we weren't looking, for example, we weren't testing to, for, uh, like a, a, a web server or anything like that. This was just okay. VM to VM. So Angelique, let's uh, let's highlight some of the the key findings now that we understand how you're doing the measurements. Um, yeah, what percolated to the surface in this report? Yeah, so there's a few things. One of them that I thought was particularly interesting was just looking at a, a particular change from the previous report. So in the previous report, one of the things that we surfaced was that the latency between points within Europe and Southeast Asia for Google, you know, and that was the same whether it was interregion, so traffic just going, you know, along their backbone, or coming from users who were in Europe or in Southeast Asia, that the latency was extremely high. So it was, you know, three times what it what it was with AWS Azure or what we would expect with an internet service provider. And so we were really interested to see what had changed, if that had in fact been fixed, because it was really excessive and not something that you would expect. And we did see that, in fact, performance is now closer to, you know, it's more in line with the other providers and what we would expect to see. But what was particularly interesting was how this fix unfolded because they they put in infrastructure or, you know, had basically direct connectivity put in between Europe and Southeast Asia. They announced that in 2019. And then when we were in, in 2020, we started to see them rolling out this new route and they rolled out their inter-region um, traffic first. So, you know, end users that were connecting from those particular points or those locations, they didn't start to see an improvement in performance until about six months later. So that was really interesting just in terms of how Google was kind of tiering the rollout of this um, new route. And so, you know, kind of prioritizing their own uh, backbone traffic and then going to the end user um, uh, traffic. And even that was tiered because we saw that if you were connecting from certain cities, 
you might have been kind of first in line for that route change or that optimization. And then there were others that took, you know, a year before they started to see that implemented. So that was that was a particularly interesting thing, just in terms of a lot of people don't realize that, you know, of course, the cloud providers are like any network operator. They have to make choices um, about how they're managing their network and and, uh, you know, sometimes that may or may not align with what you expect. So I'm assuming when you're talking about a new route between Europe and Southeast Asia, that we're talking about an undersea cable? Well, I mean, that's interesting because um, it, it could be. I mean, Google, they, they really do favor kind of using their backbones. So if you're connecting from, let's say you're connecting from London and you are connecting to a region in Singapore, your traffic is going to get into Google's network probably within just a few hops, you know, so you're going to get into Google's network in London. And then from there, you know, there's, there's really kind of a, a few different ways that you could get to Singapore. I mean, you could go, you know, through the Atlantic ocean, you know, across the U S and then, you know, across the Pacific ocean, you can go that way, or you could go, you know, there's a number of different subsea cable lines, um, connecting Europe and Asia. Um, so that's also an option, but again, like this is all shared infrastructure. So, um, it seemed that they had put in some better optimizations in terms of, you know, whether they were provisioning capacity on, on cables that offered better performance. Um, you know, it's not entirely clear what, what specific route, um, they were rolling out that, that improved it. But it was pretty dramatic just in terms of the performance difference. Well, you've got, right, that much less latency depending on which direction it goes. If it heads, uh, as you said, across the Atlantic, North America, Pacific, you've got, what would that be, 250-ish milliseconds, 300 milliseconds, something like that, versus going uh, over the Eurasian continent. It's, it's just got to be lower, right? Yeah, I mean, it depends on where you're trying to connect to within Asia. I mean, if you're in Tokyo, you know, it might be faster if you're connecting from London to go through the United States. If you're, you know, like, for example, in India, it probably would, you know, it's going to be faster if you're connecting um, via, you know, the, the subsea cables that go through the Indian Ocean. Um, so, you know, it really just depends. And what's kind of interesting about that is that the providers... It depends on the providers, but one of the things that we were seeing is that they use both routes in a lot of cases. So sometimes, you know, for example, connecting the UK to Japan, they might take the slightly longer path that's going through um, the cables running through the Indian Ocean. And sometimes if they were connecting to, for example, Southeast Asia, they might go through the U.S., so there was a lot of variation just depending on which path was being taken. And sometimes we were seeing that change in a very, um, it seemed almost like in some cases it was dynamic because we would see, you know, it was going one route um, one day and then it might be going another route the other day. So, you know, that's that's kind of an interesting thing just in terms of how they're making these changes in many cases, um, what looks like dynamically, um, you know, probably depending on what else is going on within their network. Well, Angelique, you may have answered my next question here, which was, do you think that the way that routing is going, is it is it BGP driven or is it some kind of traffic engineering? It seems to be the latter, just based on 
all of the different changes that we see. And in some cases, it looks like it changes relatively frequently, you know, which is um, not necessarily something you see if it was just um, BGP based. Right. Okay. Well, another point of clarification here, you'd mentioned that when that new route went in, sometimes it would just be backbone traffic that would traverse it. And then sometimes customer traffic would also be backhauled across it. So if there was plumbing in place between uh, two pops, let's say on that cloud, would it, would you see customer traffic and backbone traffic originating between the same two points meant to travel between the same two points? Customer traffic would go around the globe the other way and backbone traffic would go across the new route? Yeah, I mean, what's kind of interesting is that the excessive latency that we were seeing back in 2019 isn't just explainable given the particular route that you're taking. You know, so whether you're going via the U.S. or if you were going um, taking a more direct path. So it looks like something else was happening within their network to contribute to that excessive latency. But um, for sure, we definitely saw the the more direct path used for backbone or kind of region to region traffic um, much sooner than we did for end user traffic. So so there's there's different handling taking place for sure. And, and, and one kind of data point on that, I think. You know, well, we're recording on December 6th, but yesterday, December 5th, AWS had a pretty sizable network outage. And this happened over the course of a little more than an hour. And it really only impacted traffic that was coming off of the internet. So it was kind of end user traffic. It didn't affect their backbone, um, kind of region to region traffic. And it only impacted certain, um, certain or traffic that was coming from certain service providers. So there is, there are, you know, effectively different ways in which they're, they're kind of routing and, and engineering the, the traffic, um, you know, from one location to another, whether it's from their own region or from customers. Yeah, this is a finding that you call out in the report and that cloud providers are showing preferences in managing their network specifically for how they'll either fix issues or optimize performance. And I think the impact or the import is for customers that if you can sort of glean, you know, what their preferences are, maybe you can sort of align, you know, your own priorities with theirs because you may not know what their priority is. That could affect your own performance. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think also it's it's helpful to know what's going on because then it can facilitate a, a, a conversation with your provider because in some cases, some of these things might be unintentional. You know, they're, you know, run these massive global networks and in making some changes, it might lead to something that they didn't expect. And so you would want to make them aware of that. But also, you know, depending on where you're located, there are certain regions that we were seeing were kind of at the back of the line in terms of some of these optimizations that were made. So if you kind of know what you should expect in terms of performance and you're not getting that. I mean, that is something that, you know, you obviously want to raise with the provider and and try to facilitate some fix, but based on evidence and based on, you know, what you know um, you should expect from the provider. Well, do you, do you raise the issue with the provider? Hey, I'm not getting as good performance in this site as I would like or do you just say, I'm going to pick up my workloads and move them to where the data says the performance is the best? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, 
when you're considering your architecture and which regions to choose, I mean, you want to be looking at data at that point for sure um, to understand like what you're going to get and what, what to expect. But then, you know, things change. I mean, one of the things that we talk about a lot in the report is that there's really no steady state in the cloud. So what's true today may not be true tomorrow. And you may have made your, um, or, you know, put your deployments in place based on, measurements and kind of uh, performance data that you collected during your planning phase and you may not be getting it. And sure, you know, yes, you probably could change regions and kind of uproot and, and go elsewhere, but it's not trivial. And a lot of organizations, um, you know, that, that, that may not be some, that's not necessarily going to be their go-to. And so, you know, thinking about how you engage with your provider and actually manage the, the level of service that you receive is really an important part of any cloud management um, kind of strategy and operations. So, yeah, and I think a good example of that is the, the Google example you brought up earlier, where some new route or new capacity came online that's changing the way they're sending traffic from Europe to Southeast Asia. And if you built an application that's running in Southeast Asia based on older numbers, you may want to rethink what you're doing. Uh, you know, you may have made decisions about, you know, latency and so on that are no longer relevant. Absolutely. For sure. For sure. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that was that was an interesting um, kind of piece in terms of I, I think it also speaks to the fact that the providers are really they really do care about their performance. And in a lot of instances in which we pointed out maybe less than optimal performance. They've been very responsive in fixing issues. So, you know, I think at the end of the day, if you're able to be specific and kind of point out areas where you see an opportunity to improve that, you know, you're you're likely going to get a positive response. Um, but it, ultimately it's going to come down to data because, you know, they have a number of customers and, you know, they're not necessarily going to be just hyper-focused on, um, you know, ensuring performance for you specifically, you know, just sort of one organization, you know, they're not right. <laughs> an extension of your IT department, um, you know, or your, or your cloud um, operations team. So, so you kind of have to do that for yourself. And, and then, you know, where there's things that you can't optimize yourself, you know, know that, you know, you, you can be more collaborative with your provider. You know, I think it's, yeah. it's kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah, well, I I think they do they do actually care. Maybe maybe some more than yeah. others. There's different tiers of customer service than the uh, the public cloud sure, providers. Sure. But here's an anecdote from a, a thread that I spent some time reading on Hacker News. It wasn't about network performance specifically, but it was about Azure and their capacity to spin up new workloads. Oh, sorry, mm. in this particular region, we don't have enough capacity for you to spin up whatever it was that they were trying to spin up. And this person was expressing frustration. And as the thread went on, someone, I think they worked for Azure maybe, but they popped up and said, hey, one of the things we struggle with is capacity planning. So the way you can help us with that is by letting us know we're betting big on this region or we're going to be spending we're going to be spinning up a bunch of workloads in this particular region. And so they would know then, hey, our customers are going to want to have more presence in these areas. We need to have more physical capacity in those areas. Now, they were talking about, you know, bare metal servers and stuff like that. But I think that extends to this networking discussion as well. If you know you're going to be putting a lot of workloads into a particular area and you want your performance to be good, 
you should let your cloud provider know we're building in this region in over the next year. Uh, please be ready for us. We're coming. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what's kind of interesting about that is that it, it work, you know, if you're in the cloud, it's very different than the traditional model that a lot of folks may have gotten used to with, for example, service providers or transit providers where you have an SLA. The, for whatever reason, with the cloud providers, that model was never really put in place. And so you don't have the same kind of management structures or the same opportunity for accountability just based on, you know, service level agreements, for example, or or if there are SLAs in place, they're practically unenforceable. So the way to kind of think about this is almost like a service level relationship rather than service level agreement. You know, how do you put structures in place in order to facilitate you having these more constructive conversations with the providers? So to your point, yeah, just communication. I think is relationship that's uh <laughs> I don't know yeah, if you can I, take your cloud <laughs> provider out for a steak dinner, but you know, right, right, right. I, I I lifted that from a colleague. You know, we were having this conversation and he was like, <laughs> Yeah, you know, the SLAs, you know, they they're, you know, they're kind of dead in a lot of ways. You know, you have to kind of you have to think about it as a service level relationship. I was like, ah, I like that, you know. So have to send your cloud sure provider I, a holiday gift. Exactly. <laughs> there, there are people and there, there's teams there yep. that do actually care about you. And there are reps and humans you can talk to. And again, some seem to have a better reputation than others. Um, you know, AWS has a, has a better reputation for customer service, calling up and getting things fixed, for example, than um, GCP seems to be lower on the totem pole in that regard, where they, they kind of don't want to talk to you is the, is the vibe I get. But Anyway, um, Angelique, you had mentioned, you know, steady state in the cloud. There is no steady state in the cloud. We've been, we've been kind of talking about that, but you dive into that a little, a little more. The, the, the point you're making is that things are changing in the cloud networks all the time. And so you can't assume because you have good performance one day, you'll have bad, you, you, you'll have good performance forever. Or conversely, if it, if it's terrible right now, it might not be better in the future. Right. Yeah. I mean, we kind of saw this manifesting in a few different ways. So in, you know, to your point, you know, the cloud provider networks are constantly changing. They may be uh, putting new regions in place and maybe expanding. There's also a lot of infrastructure that's just like shared infrastructure that's come online just even in the last few years. So for example, there's like cable, uh, new subsea cable between like Perth and Singapore. And we saw when that was put in place that that improved performance for a couple of the providers. So, you know, there are things that are just kind of changing in terms of the infrastructure. Um, but also there was some things that weren't necessarily explainable that might just be anomalies and against where, you know, you, you may want to point things out to your provider. So, for example, there was a, a point in time and this wasn't just like a, a something that was brief. This was like over a six month period, we saw that performance between Azure, uh, Azure's Korea region, um, and really every other region that they have was like three or four times what it was um, at their baseline. And so, you know, that was, you know, pretty, pretty extreme increase in performance. And then after six months, it just kind of went back to its baseline. So, you know, there are, there absolutely are um, things that are happening that are like brief anomalies, you know, then you, of course, those have to be managed, but there may also be things that are more systemic where you want to think about, 
um, you know, how you can, how you can engage and manage around those as well. But yeah, I mean, I think it was really interesting how things were constantly changing, Mm. you know, and, and those could, you know, happen over the course of a month that could, you know, there was a lot of instances in which we were seeing, particularly in Asia, I would say, like, there are a lot of outliers, you know, there's like a, a much broader spread of performance measurements that we would capture, for example, you know, so there's just greater variability in certain areas of the world. Um, and that was even within the cloud providers backbone. So, you know, I think it it was pretty surprising to me that even, you know, so there was over time, yes, there were changes, but also just even within a 30 day period, looking at like the the range of measurements um, between, you know, point A and point B, it was in a lot of cases and dependent on the provider, it was really kind of extreme just in terms of uh, the, the kind of measurements that we were taking, you know. Angelique, so we were talking about how the nature of a cloud provider's network changes and it changes with some frequency. You can't just assume the performance envelope is going to be the same all the time. You also mentioned earlier in the show that AWS had an outage that impacted lots of different providers and so on. That was a thing, which isn't even a headline anymore. Should we just be counting on there being performance issues and outages and so on in the cloud providers? Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting that you bring that up because I, I know that there there have been really huge outages that get a lot of attention and those are, you know, maybe not as common as, you know, the incident that you just mentioned. But I think a lot of people give the providers a pass and just sort of assume that, you know, everything's going to work. You know, they pay for this service and, you know, everything's going to be great. And the reality is that they're actually much more common uh, than a lot of folks realize and it's, you know, it's whether it was, you know, an hour outage that we saw the other day or other, you know, kind of maybe um, smaller scale, more systemic things or just things that are kind of changing all the time. You know, you really have to assume that there's going to be challenges, there's going to be problems and then, you know, figure out a way to implement some management practices that are going to deal with that effectively. And it's funny that performance issues can be major, major scale, where lots and lots and lots of people notice and are affected because their apps are down or performing poorly. And then there can be just little things that are an issue. Um, Not that long ago, we had a problem on one of the VPS services we use to host a website with a noisy neighbor. Everything was fine. Everything was operating okay. But the performance of the website was rather slow. and, And that was the troubleshooting process. Oh, yeah. The metal that your site is provisioned on is um, is is just overloaded. I don't know crypto mining. I don't know what was going on, but uh, but some <laughs> some neighbor was doing something noisy. So a very small scale sort of a problem, which just goes back to the guidance we've been getting from the cloud providers anyway, which is you need to have uh, be, you need to be thinking about application resiliency. You need to be spreading your workloads out. You right. need to be able to survive some kind of a problem. You can't assume that just because we're AWS, Azure, Google Cloud, that uh, everything's going to be 100% fine all the time. Because it isn't. You should assume that just like in your own data centers, there might be problems. Uh, They'll have problems as well. And so you you can't just throw application architecture out the window because, uh, oh, the cloud will take care of it for me. 
Yeah, for sure. And and that was a, a good example that you brought up because it's funny, it was I was talking to someone the other day about, you know, these really large outages that get a ton of attention. You know, they get, you know, like a lot of a lot of people um talking about them, a lot of applications impacted. When that happens, there's a little bit of herd immunity. Like if, if everybody is sort of right. equally impacted, then, you know, it's like, okay, you know, we, we can it's point to the cloud fault. provider. It's not my fault, but there's those smaller scale things where it's like, okay, maybe it's just one particular route or, a, or kind of a more localized issue and it's impacting you. And, you know, your website is slow. Your application is slow. Well, there's no big headline talking about a cloud outage, you know, this is all on you. So, you know, in a lot of ways, those can be even more damaging in terms of kind of the perception of responsibility because, you know, they're, they're not these sort of like, you know, big, massive, you know, the cloud is down type events. Yeah. That herd immunity is lost in some of these smaller outages. And that's, I guess, again, why the visibility, the sort of having an up-to-date picture of performance and not assuming it's going to be the same should tie into your application design, your resiliency design. Okay, so, and another thing that I, I noticed in the report, uh, you were talking about multi-cloud connectivity, so between the big cloud providers, which seems good, and it seems like they're using more direct interconnections with each other instead of going across the internet. Do you see this as, you know, uh, a sort of a sign of, you know, uh, agreed-upon cooperation among the big three on how to interconnect with each other? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, to your point, it was it was pretty interesting to see just how interconnected the providers are. I mean, they're in a lot of the same exchange points. And mm -hmm. so, you know, there's and they and they peer extensively with a lot of providers as well. But for traffic that was going from a region and one provider destined to a region within a different cloud provider entirely, we were seeing the traffic just going, just getting handed off directly from one provider to the other. So, you know, as you mentioned, it wasn't going over the public internet, which I think is is good news for um, organizations that might have not just, you know, multi-cloud from the standpoint of how they're architecting their own application, but a lot of applications today are using best of breed API services and mm -hmm. those services, those apps might be in a different cloud provider. And so, you know, knowing that that traffic is more likely going to stay within, you know, the quote unquote cloud um, is, you know, is, is probably good news from some folks, not to say that the internet is sort of inherently bad. It's just that, you know, it minimizes kind of the, the handling of the traffic across multiple providers. And, you know, certainly we've seen issues with internet routing where there might be um, BGP issues or, or whatnot. So, um, yeah. So the reason I found it surprising is that, um, there is, I guess, you know, an element of, uh, competition here where I want to keep my, uh, users within my own cloud as much as possible. But the fact that you're mentioning this push toward multi-cloud and folks having, you know, API connections to services in different clouds, maybe there's sort of this shared fate where, well, they're using a piece of my cloud. So I want that to work well. So I will, I guess, you know, have this friendly, interconnect relationship with my competitors, essentially, because we have this shared fate. Right. Yeah. I, I think that's a, I think that's a good point. And, you know, there's, this is, this is pretty common, you know, where you're going to be, a lot of your customers are going to be connecting to things, you know, that are 
in one of your competitors' clouds. And so, you know, especially given the proximity that they, you know, where they peer, um, it it probably makes sense for them. Right. And if you if I'm providing a service that relies on a service in provider B, but my customer thinks I'm at fault because of a, you know, a slow response from provider B to provider A, I look bad. So I guess maybe there's that that willingness to cooperate on things like that. So Angelique, that's actually a good a good follow-up question, maybe a way to to close this podcast out or some takeaways for, for what do we do with all of this information as cloud operators, folks that are building and standing up clouds. Because um, on the one hand, I could look at the clouds and go, okay, I'm going to stand this up in uh, US East and you know, and off I go, that's going to be good enough. Or I'm going to put a workload in Chicago because I know Chicago is well-connected, I'm not going to think about it anymore. But what the data suggests is that the decision about where to place workloads is a lot more a lot more complex. And I'm almost... I'm not sure what to do with all of the information, Angelique. Can you can you give me some guidance? Yeah, absolutely. So, of course, performance is going to mean different things to different organizations depending on their use cases, their applications, who they um, who their customers are. So, the the specific performance uh, measurements that we have in the report are really kind of guidelines. I mean, it's it's. Um, good information and it's helpful to understand how the cloud providers operate and what you can generally expect. Um, but in terms of like what you can do with this information, I think it's really important to consider latency and performance throughout the full kind of life cycle of your cloud deployment. So whether that's from a planning phase as you're rolling out and then during, um, you know, as you're managing or or during your operational phase, ensuring that you're continuously getting the performance that you need. So the report itself is sort of meant to be a bit of a framework for that and giving examples of what you can expect and how you can then um, get this this data for yourself and use that to better manage your performance with your cloud provider. Oh, you didn't give me the easy button. (laughs) Uh. <laughs> uh, the t- I mean, the takeaway is, is pretty straightforward then, but but it is a complex one uh, also. It's straightforward in the sense of, okay, you have to understand your application architecture, where you're going to place your workloads, what that means to the customer-facing side of that app, but then also the back end of that app and how all of the different services that make up your application are interacting, and right. then make intelligent decisions about whether it's latency performance, um, the the latency between the different services as they're interacting between regions, uh, and then how to group all of those things intelligently so that you're getting the performance that you're looking for. And it's not necessarily as straightforward as group it all together. It's You may have to put a lot more thought into it. And then to to know what we mean by a lot more thought, it's all driven by the the, the data of which there is I don't think it's hundreds of pages, but it's at least dozens of pages uh, of data that can show you uh, what your connectivity looks like between different regions where you might be putting components of your application together. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's, as you said, this can get pretty complicated because there's there's the performance that you can expect from a network standpoint with your cloud provider but there's also other variables in terms of other services that you're connecting to and even where you're connecting from, whether that's your customers that are out on the internet connecting to you, 
uh, through very, through different service providers or just in terms of, of getting to, you know, your cloud management console, you know, and connecting uh, from some point out on the internet, or, you know, it could also involve, you know, do you use direct connect? Do you uh, connect to your, um, your VPC over, you know, a VPN, you know, these are all these things that have to be weighed and it can get pretty complicated. So you want to make sure that you're, you're using data to make these decisions. I'm curious if you're hearing from customers about the networking element of cloud and that I assume when most organizations are having a cloud, designing an application for the cloud, they're thinking about cost, they're thinking about developer preference, they're thinking about what tools does it integrate with and maybe the network is not top of mind. Is there a way to make sure networking has a seat at the table to say, hey, here's some issues we need to think about, about location, latency, performance, all of that? Yeah, I think that's an interesting question. Talking to a few different folks on this, it seems like the network performance piece may in fact get factored in, you know, when there's, when there's a, the, you know, effectively the architecture planning, but mm-hmm. then when you get to the operations phase, it's sort of like, okay, well, I, I think I know what I'm going to get. And, you know, I'm just going to assume that that's the case, you know? So, so I think it's really about ensuring that the network piece, which is effectively what's gluing all of these things together right. is, is factored in. So because it's probably the networking people who are going to get the first phone call when there's a problem. They always are. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, Angelique, this has been a fun conversation. We have learned uh, a, a lot of things that I wasn't expecting. There was a lot of data in that report that um, just looking at things as the armchair network designer would have assumed things were different than what the data has uncovered. Uh, for people that want to download that report, where do they go? Right. So you, you can go to thousandeyes.com. So go to our website. We have a resources section and you can download the report there. This is the cloud performance report for 2022. You can also find Thousand Eyes on Twitter. They are at Thousand Eyes. And of course, you can find them on LinkedIn. And if you want to read their blog, um, some really good technical content there, thousandeyes.com slash blog. Our thanks to Angelique Medina for joining us today. And our thanks to Thousand Eyes, a Cisco company, for sponsoring today's episode. And virtual high fives to you for staying all the way to the end. If you have suggestions for future shows, you can ask us anything. You can hit uh, either Ned or I up on Twitter at Day2CloudShow or fill out the request form on Day2Cloud.io. And if you like engineering-oriented shows like this one, and I know you do, visit PacketPushers.net slash subscribe. All of our podcasts, newsletters, and websites are there. It's all nerdy content designed for your professional career development. And until then, just remember, cloud is what happens while IT is making other plans. 